Hello and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about classical education, the ancient world, and stuff. My name is Thomas Magby. I am joined, as always, with Mr. Graham Donaldson. Hey. And Mr. A.J. Hannenberg. Howdy. Um, I, so what's weird is that to the listener through the podcast, they didn't hear the spiel, Graham, that you just gave ahead of time. Um, you know, all I, I'll just do the, the Cliff Notes version. It was tough to, to tame an audience of two or 3,000. It's hard to count at this point. It's true. But your booming voice um, was overheard. Um, you rallied uh, all of them to our cause. Mm-hmm. Um, um, quelled the protesters. Quelled true. the protesters, which were outside. We were entertained with the, the, the dance number of the classical stuff you should know dancers. Yeah, that was really nice. Yeah, we didn't really, we didn't ask for that, but it was just really nice. that just kind of spontaneously did that. I thought um, the flag team was nice. You know, <laughs> better than last year. Better than last Not year's as great as last team. year, but. Yeah. Oh, um, Thomas. Oh, sorry. Disagrees. <laughs> yeah, differing opinions on oh, the dance sorry, But they definitely <laughs> tried. So anyway, uh, Mr. Graham Donaldson, I will leave it to you to describe your topic. But uh, what you talking about today? So as you listeners have been able to discern, we are, yeah, in front of a live audience today. It is the Paideia Conference at Veritas Academy. And we are, woo, Paideia. And we are actually 2,000 people for listening. (laughs) 2,000 people. Um, But before we get cracking, uh, Bees, what's a good definition of Paideia? Oh, Paideia is the disciplined crafting of the man, the whole man, and wisdom and virtue is the thing I've been, I've memorized. Mm -hmm. The one, we got a definition this morning that was that Paideia is the enculturation of the next generation. So it is the passing on of culture. So development of the whole man. Yeah. Person. So this is a conference that we put on for our co-teachers, which are parents, uh, other schools, people starting schools, our own faculty. And for some reason, I, they asked us to uh, do a live podcast. So <laughs> here we are. So here we are. Um, so fun, fun classical stuff. Fact, many years ago, we did a live podcast that we lost all of the data to. And Thomas had his microphone <laughs> backwards. <laughs> and and uh, I was trying to figure it out the whole time. So I was like pushing buttons. And then at some point, I muted Thomas oh, and yeah. then lost his Truth entire track. Yeah, yeah. And okay. so like, it wasn't really just because okay, yours was good. backwards. It was because I was fiddling with buttons and then uh-huh. I accidentally turned you off for That's half funny. of it. Okay, yeah. good. But there was brilliance uttered uh, uh, during yes. the podcast <laughs> that, was lost, that was lost forever. Yeah. So Anyone who was there had their lives changed forever. So today we're going to do that topic again. So the topic uh, that we're going to be talking about is hermeneutics, which is sort of a, a long-sounding word. But what we're talking about is hermeneutics is just the art of how you read something. And we're going to talk about it in terms of the art of reading the Bible, uh, of reading scripture. So when someone says, oh, let's take a biblical, a biblical understanding of money, or let's have a biblical understanding of, of some topic. The question is, well, how do you derive that understanding? How do you get to that theological statement of the Bible says X about topic? Um, and so we're gonna, I'm gonna, uh, we're gonna talk about the um, sort of the steps that one does in order to do this. This isn't the first time we've talked about uh, how to read the Bible on this podcast. We have an older episode, many oh many moons ago, um, on the four shoot, I remember four senses of scripture. The four, yeah, sorry, the four senses of scripture, uh, talking about how Dante says we should read the Bible. Um, yeah, no, Dante point, just used it. It wasn't yeah, Dante's idea. Yeah, he got it from Aquinas. He yeah. got it from probably Augustine. I don't know. I made yeah. that up. From like older dudes. Yeah. It's been around for a long time. Long time. Um, and so you can go back and listen to that one too. Maybe this is part of a series. Mm. Of, very series long, that has, yeah, just has long gaps in between. Yeah. Now I have to go back and put like number one in front of our last <laughs> one, and then I got to update. That's, yeah. What a nightmare. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, how do you read scripture? So if you have a story, if you have a text in front of you, how do you interpret that, and how do you end up saying things about it that is supposed to be uh, helpful for your own life, for the life of the church, uh, for the life of the Christian person? 
So I'm going to use the passage that I was taught hermeneutics on, and probably it's a familiar passage. It's one that gets taught a lot in seminaries, to, and it's from Exodus 21, verse 28. So I'm just going to read it out, and the question is, how on earth do we derive theological principles from this? <clears throat> when an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned, and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, you know, has a history, um, <laughs> and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in, and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner also shall be put to death. If a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. If it gores a man's son or daughter, he shall be dealt with according to this same rule. If the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. Okay, so we have this passage, and it's, you know, one of those stereotypically Old Testament uh, passages that's talking about the civil life of the ancient Israelites and how they should deal with their problems. Why do we, what, what do we do, what do we as faithful Christians in the 21st century, what do we do with this kind of thing? How do we interpret this? How do we derive biblical principles? Does this have anything at all to say to us? Well, so, we can yeah. ask questions of it. And I feel like my first one is who is in charge of ox gore warnings, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. If he has been warned, then such a thing is to have, is there like a guy whose job it is to walk around and be like, hey, watch yeah. it. That's one. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to see this again. You've been warned. <laughs> yeah. Um, Apparently so. <laughs> like there's got to be a guy, <laughs> right? Someone's doing that, yeah. All right, so there's a couple of steps we do. Uh, one way you can, there's, you can either think about it in terms of three steps. Some people talk about hermeneutics in terms of five steps. I, um, I think five steps is the most helpful. For, so for step number one, if you were running a Bible study or if you were trying, if you were reading this passage and you're like, okay, how on earth am I going to uh, understand what this passage has to say? Does it have anything to say? Is the first step is you are summarizing the thing that it says. You are offering no interpretation. You are offering, offering no sort of like life advice, um, which is, I think we've all sat in Bible studies where you read the passage and then someone jumps in. It's like- Immediately apply. What this says to me mm. is that, and, uh, and everyone gets uncomfortable. Is that we should all watch out for when our neighbor's pets are doing things they shouldn't. Make sure everyone's warned. That's actually maybe a good interpretation. Of <laughs> <laughs> Um, but the first thing is, let's just write out as much as we can observe from it. Even if we, and especially if we have big old questions, there's probably going to be cultural understandings we don't understand. There's going to be all sorts of, uh, uh, it's probably at the end of the exercise, we're going to have more questions than answers. But the first thing that we should do is we should write out everything that we can kind of observe and any sort of questions that we have about this. So if you're doing this with kids or if you're doing this just in your own devotional life, um, you summarize it. Okay, so there's a couple of steps in here. When the ox scores the man, if the ox has never done this before, the ox gets killed, the man doesn't. If it has a history, uh, uh, it says that then the ox is killed, the man is killed. The same rule applies for kids. There's something about a ransom, which I don't really understand. And then there is some discussion. Oh, slaves. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, the Bible talks about slaves. What are we going to do with that? Um, uh, is the Bible okay with slavery? Um, and how come their rules are applied differently than the rules for the kids or the rules for, for, for people, right? You just sort of, you come at it, you come up with, with all of the questions, but you also try to summarize in point form what actually it's talking about. You're this, still at the literal level. You're so still at the literal, literal just, level. You're just talking about ox and 
people and getting gored. And in this section, it's probably easier to do the literal level because it is sort of evocative, like it's telling a story about something that happened. An ox, if an if an ox does this, then you do this. If you have something like Paul's epistles, it's a little more difficult to talk about literally what he's saying because it can get a little uh, complicated. But with this one, that one, summarizing it is relatively straightforward. But then, yes, all of these questions arise. So that is step one. Um, when I do Bible studies, I actually, if we're doing a passage, I will print out the passage on a sheet of paper. I will take away all uh, verse notes. I will take away all footnotes. And I will take away everything so it's just a block of text. Mm. And then we can all write all over it. So we can write our questions in the margins. We can. Uh, this is also the place where if you notice repeating patterns in here, you know, so we, we have this repetition. The ox scores first case, the ox scores second case, kids. We have this sort of repeating The ox thing. shall be stoned. Yeah. Which sounds like a shop in Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Just can take a little. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, okay, that's step number one. Step number two is then, is often a step that gets avoided because this is the step that you would use if you needed to go do a little bit of research on it. Um, um, and the question you ask yourself is, is how different is the audience listening to this from me today? How different uh, uh, is the context of, of, of this being applied? So the super, older, super different. Yeah. So the older you go, that <clears throat> right. question becomes more important. When you are talking the Pauline epistles, um, that is less different because he's talking to the church. We're the church. The church has, con- has continued through history. But of course, and you know, Rome was there and stuff, and like that's a big deal. Yeah. 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 Um, so then you ask yourself this question: What are the big historical differences? Oxen um, more prevalent. That, definitely, yeah, more yes. Agrarian. Like it would be yeah. a like I don't know how many of us are dealing with ox scorings on a daily basis, but mm-hmm. I feel like it would be you know at least although fifty percent more back have then. Some kids. Yeah. <laughs> we have some kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. deal with ox scoring uh, frequently. Um, less so, uh, less so if you're in like Manhattan or something. Oh. Um, yeah. Especially then, the ox gore and slave problem mm-hmm. is less of an issue. Yeah, and then that last thing. I mean, uh, the, I'm using the ESV, which translated as slaves. Uh, what do you got there, Thomas? Says slave. This is ESV. Also. ESV. There's there. Uh, this is also translated as bond servant. Um, this could also be, just be translated as servant. Some work needs to be done in understanding what that term means for the audience uh, who would have heard this. Um, and then, I mean, even just figuring out who the audience who would have heard this in the first place is. We need to be able to locate this story or this text in the history of the Bible. This is Exodus. This is spoken to the Jews in the desert when they're eating manna and uh, uh, the you know. Moses. Moses stuff. Good, yeah. <laughs> it's great. Technical. Did you just summarize all of that journey of with that, Moses yeah. stuff? Yeah. yeah, it's sometimes called the Pentateuch. It's sometimes called Moses stuff. Um, no, <laughs> no. That's not right. This week on Classical Stuff, uh, yeah. Moses Mo- stuff Moses. Yeah. that you should Oh, have. a spinoff. Yep. Another podcast. Um, anyway, so yes, uh, we, we notice all these differences. So if we needed to know about the prevalence of ox back in the day. But yeah, the, the cultural understanding of, of slavery... Um, and maybe I'll, I'll, I'm sort of going to jump to that when we when we talk about it, interpretation and application. But that is an obvious question: is okay. The Bible says the Bible assumes, at least in this passage, that there are going to be people for whom something happens in their life and they need to deal with the fact they need to deal with their servants. They need to deal with their slaves. Does that mean that this text is permissible to the concept of slavery? What does the Bible say about slaves? Is, is this the only text? All right, so that's step number two is the historical differences. How different is this story from us? Step number three is the big one. Um, This is where you try to make principles 
from uh, what is being said. You're not trying to apply these principles, and you and I, and uh, you may make principles that you know in the back of your mind other sections of Scripture repudiate. Um, but we'll get there. Um, but this is where you make principle statements. So you're trying to not universalize the statement, but you're trying to, to bring some sort of like categorical statements to what's happening. So what could be like some principles from the text? So a principle would be that people are responsible for their stuff. Yeah, take care of your stuff. Yeah. You're responsible for your things. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Uh, neglect is a thing, yes. right? So if, if someone gets hurt because of something you failed to do, you're responsible. It is. The Bible it frowns on neglect. Uh, uh, someone is responsible for something um, and they know about it mm. and neglect to take care of it, um, they are liable for it. That's a principle from this. So you can say that, you know, biblically speaking, uh, 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 personal responsibility, especially vis-a-vis your stuff, um, is a biblical principle. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. It's interesting that, so when there's a problem, you can pay to fix that problem ah, or yes. even... I guess first there's the obligation to pay to make it right, but then even that trade, that's just like an interesting thing mm-hmm. that a wrong can be paid for. Yeah, so then the other thing is is uh, um, uh, maybe this goes back to the step into the observation that in for the Jews in Moses' time, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> during the Exodus so yeah. in the desert, as they were uh, enshrining uh, these these laws into a, into a, a polis, um, they had a, um, a, a penal system where also payment was acceptable for wrongdoing. That may seem obvious to us because we also have that system, but you can say, and maybe it's wrong, but at least at this point, reading this passage, this passage seems to assume that having monetary punishments for wrongdoing is biblically permitted. Now, we may go back and say that's not a universal statement, but at least according to this, it seems to indicate that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, what about a principle about the worth of children? Uh, life of children, it's equal in value to the owner in this. So yeah. children are equal in, uh, value to their parents. So if your ragey ox, uh, kills a kid, it is the exact same, uh, punishment as if it kills an adult. So the principle we can derive is, is the Bible says that the life of children are equal to the life of adult. It's not like a child is like two thirds of an adult mm. or something. Um, but, um, so this, so these are principles. So the, the biblical interpreter's job is to, when they read sections is to try to come up with these principle statements. Um, um, do you worry about these principles being only in this passage? Like I could see myself, I don't know if you're going to take this passage to say, well, therefore, uh, the the Bible condones this like servant master relationship. Yes. I'd be like, well, that's not right. Yeah, yeah, we're but, not. Yeah, that's because we're not done. Okay, so at some point we'll look at these principles and say, is this actually a good one? Yeah. Okay. No, not actually. Is this a good one? Um, uh, um, does it change? Is okay. Well, that's the next step. Cool. Um, and then also, yeah. So that's the next step. So the next step is step number four, and this is um, this step only happens if you're in the Old Testament. And the question is. If you are in the Old Testament, which we are, does the, anything about the new covenant in God's kingdom uh, through Christ change something of this text? So if we were reading a section talking about, like, um, when you're sacrificing your goat, make sure you do it this way, 
Uh, <laughs> um, those no thought, rosemary. Yeah, like yeah. Sacrifice. yeah. God's not a fan. Um, no, uh, the, the, we don't have a sacrificial system anymore. So right. the new covenant has. So we we as Christians are not bound by those laws in the past. And then the other question that we have is, and we can do this in regards to maybe talking about the servant relationship is, is the fact that in the Old Testament there is um, civil laws around master-servant mean that the Bible is condoning the institution of master-servant? That's, no. that's still an open question right now. Like it, okay. Um, and so, so, in other words, it would be inappropriate to say that this, that this section of Scripture uh, uh, is, condoning, is, yeah. is, is condoning servanthood or slavery, or however you want to phrase it. Uh, maybe another one you could talk about this is, does this section of Scripture, as it's written, condone the death penalty? I mean, it seems to. Just like a stretch. I don't know. Why? It's, well, part of it, I don't know. Part of it is weird in that it's talking about uh, the death of an animal. Mm-hmm. Or, no, it's an animal killing a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a life for a life. I don't know. Could I say that that has been overturned by the New Testament, that uh, debts have been paid for in Christ, therefore, I don't know. Well, this is the business of theology. Okay. This is the business of, of, of churches and scriptural interpret- interpretive traditions. And if you are writing a book, a book on systematic theology, like this is what you're doing. Mm. So you're going through the Bible and you're going through all these sections and you're categorizing them. And you're like, all right, if we want to figure out what the Bible says about, the, let's just use the death penalty. The death penalty, what are all the passages where they make reference to Something happened, and then somebody, somebody being put to death for that. Mm-hmm. So let's get them all into a big pile. Let's get all the, the, the verses that we can think of. And then let's all do this process. Let's all try to derive principal statements from these things and see if there, if there are ones that are contradictory, if see if there are ones that um, um, haven't um, – that if the New Testament offers a changing view to some of these Older Testament ones – and you don't need to the the we don't need to be inventing this completely all by ourselves. Like there are helpful little um, little ways of of like with this fourth step where we're talking about the New Testament, and the Old Testament. So the one that I was taught, which I think is really helpful, is all of this law stuff in the Old Testament um, has three points to it. It's civil law, so laws about how to like people dealing with each other. So how do how do these individual specific uh, Jews in the desert deal with one another, civil mm. stuff. You have ceremonial laws. How do you, like, how do you cut that goat to make him bleed so that it could be... Uh, it's getting weird. Yeah. yeah weird. <laughs> um, no, but you have these ceremonial laws. Uh, the washings, the, uh, the ceremonial washings, how you approach the altar, all of these sorts of things. There are all these precepts for it. Mm. So you have the civil, you have the ceremonial, and then you have the moral laws, mm. uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, um, uh, Moses, when he's talking about... Um, when he's dying and he's giving his last little command, uh, his last little sort of send off to uh, uh, his people in in Deuteronomy chapter twenty, and he's you know have no other gods. Uh, uh, as for me and my house, uh, we will serve the Lord. There are those things as well. So the the rule of thumb is that the New Testament changes uh, the civil laws. We're not living in the desert. We're not. Um, um, our our civil times have changed. We we don't need to. Don't live in tents. Yeah, we don't need to reproduce ancient society to be faithful believe, followers of God. Like, we just don't need to do that. Maybe there's some Christian denominations right. that think we do, exactly. but yeah. uh, by and large, uh, we don't need to do that. 
Can I, so can I ask, yeah, I, I get this sure. question from students sometimes. So th- those three categories are really helpful, but they're not in, like scripture doesn't say that. So it doesn't say laws are split up into these three categories. Therefore do these, don't do these two. Do you have any, how would you respond to that? Um, I mean, I would talk about, you know, I would look at when Paul's talking about how our relationship with the law, when he talks about it in Romans mm. or he talks about it, um, yeah, that, I mean, it, the New Testament should is should give us enough interpretive tools to be able to deal with that. Mm. Is I guess would be my answer, even if they're not explicitly split into three categories, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So the civil laws change, the ceremonial laws change. Right. We don't have the temple sacrifices anymore, but the moral laws don't change. Right. Uh, the Ten Commandments, and so then it is the interpreter's job to say, okay, is this is this descriptive of a ceremonial? Or sorry, of a civil law mm-hmm. killing the man for for his negligence or is this a moral is this a moral command that that doesn't change i don't have an answer for that i i, I don't think we're, we're going to bounce around that debate okay um your question is whether the discussion of bulls is a moral law no the discussion of of you dying for your bulls misdeeds is the moral law or is that just a civil law i think you would call it a civil law that has moral implications yeah right it's mm-hmm. not a moral so law, overlap. like yep. don't covet, mm-hmm. right? It's it's definitely one to maintain a civil society. Mm-hmm. I would put it firmly under the civil yeah. civil law, but mm-hmm. there are perhaps you know moral implications. And I think a lot of Christian proponents of of um, the death penalty agree and, and see and would use these examples as as saying the Bible is is for this. Um, um, our job is, uh, but. The reason why I'm talking about these tools is that it is incumbent, I think, on every believer to be able to have the ability to sit down and to go through this themselves. But you don't need to do it in a vacuum. Mm. You have the church. You have the traditions of the church. You have uh, theologians who have written these things. Um, So it's that balance between we should be accepting the authority of the people that God has put over us. um, But we should also have the tools to be able to read and understand this for ourselves. Um, Okay, we're still on, we, we are getting to the last step. And the last step, I think, is, is one that we can all pretty much f- have figured out what's going on. And that's application. And so how do you apply this? Um, so how would you apply this specific text to our lives? Well, um, the way that I do this in my leadership class is the application question is, how can Mr. Donaldson be a better Christian? Um, I find that the, the students have a lot more fun talking about that than like... Than if you ask them to apply that to themselves. <laughs> yes, because yeah. they, are, they are ruthless moralizers when it comes to how I should be a better Christian. Right. Um, but, uh, um, but... Shocking that teenagers yeah, know, yeah, can that. really tell right from wrong exactly. and have a really black and white view of that sort of thing. Someone not, that thought. is not them. Yeah. Um, but for example, like, you know... Uh, um, uh, you have a really crappy chainsaw and you know it's crappy and like the, the thing's falling off and you lend it to your friend and he <laughs> takes an arm off. And you um, don't tell him like I took another guy's him. arm off last week. Yeah. Oh. This works fine. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, well, um, uh, and then you were trying to figure out if, if you did, you know, it's like I didn't, I didn't take your arm off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. You were the one with the chainsaw, yeah. bro. So uh, what does the Bible say about this? Now this is sort of maybe a, a, a stupid example. It's not stupid, but, but you'd still be responsible is what you're getting exactly, at. Exactly, yeah. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't then take it the next step of saying, well, therefore, we should cut your arm off. Um, no, okay. I wouldn't, because okay. I would make him pay me uh, no, for <laughs> ransom. That, wow. Well, you could, you're really no, specific there, there are on some this principles thing. there. Like, if mm-hmm. Graham is negligent and doesn't tell him about the chainsaw problem, right. and I have no idea, by the way, how a chainsaw would take your arm off if incorrectly serviced. Mm-hmm. I, right. that's, I can't wrap my head around that. Anyway, if it took his arm off, sure. 
there there's a principle in there that you can like pay right pay mm-hmm. the Make penalty right. and so pay yeah. is medical bills that's what makes right. sense to me and then at least that there is a a framework sort of, for restitution yeah. yes uh, yeah then the question is the length or the severity of that restitution is it morally mandated or is it civilly mandated yeah and and that's still an open question um so if we take this as civil, we'd say the specific payment isn't like a isn't, universal law. That's right. It isn't a universal of, law that it has to be 30 shekels or whatever. Okay. But the idea of payment is important. Is important. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So then the the difficult one is talking, you know, is saying, is this, is this passage descriptive? It's just describing the way the world is and the world then had servants or it's prescriptive that a world with servants is the way the Bible wants it to be. Um, descriptive. Yes. I mean, okay. that, that is, uh, ultimately, I think that is, it is the answer. But this passage doesn't get us there. So then the business of scriptural interpretation is, is being able to understand all of the other um, uh, uh, passages that talk about masters and servants or, or these sorts of things, um, uh, and then apply that to uh, these passages that are just more descriptive of the world around them. So, I mean, if you're a listener or someone sitting here being like, oh my goodness, what does the Bible say about this? I've never even thought about it. Like, you know, go read Philemon, which is dealing with how Christians um, deal with uh, uh, this master-servant relationship. Yep. Um, we are one body, uh, uh, Jew or Greek, slave or free, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 12? It's before the love passage. Um, <laughs> so you just pick the one chapter right before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Not a bad guess. Um, I'm super curious. Anyway. Um, and so then, it is, so that if you want to be biblically literate and say, well, this is what the Bible says about X, um, at some level you need to have gone through this business of of doing some version of this hermeneutical framework, um, and uh, to uh, and and build up uh, and see where those principles align. Where do, where do the principles saying similar or same things uh, in various different parts of 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 the biblical story? Does that make sense? Yes. Um, yeah. Just one sec. <laughs> This is a pause for uh, drama? Yes. No, it's just pause for caffeine. Okay, good. Uh, other things that you need in order to do this is a understanding of the different genres of scripture because they all assume that you are coming to those books differently. Uh, I definitely remember when I was a kid at Bible camp, um, someone sat down and he said, you know that the Bible predicts that Russia mm. is going to invade uh, invade Canada. That's mm. a fact. Yeah. And um, I read that part. I read that passage. Did you yeah. know that the it's Bible Job, predicts right? that Russia is going to invade Canada using uh, wooden mm. tanks? Wow. And I was like, wooden tanks. Okay. They're going to win. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, they might invade, but it's not going to be very no, successful. Yeah, yeah. We have fire. Have they not, yeah. They never heard <laughs> yeah. of fire. Um, anyway, so then he and he sat me through and he he walked me through like the Psalms or some apocalyptic what? verse where it was talking about like Gog and Magog. And he's like, mm-hmm. you know, that's Russia. I'm like, okay. Um, and, uh, and their wooden chariots. And he's like, that's just tanks. Mm. And I was like, oh man, this is terrifying. <laughs> I, what am I going to do? Yeah. I mean, I should probably tell my parents. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, and good. so, you know, and so then I was like, now that I'm older, I'm like, was that wise biblical interpretation and this was an older guy now if i think of the ages he was probably like 15 and i was probably like 12 <laughs> okay um, but in my guy. mind yeah. it was an adult 15 yeah. years like, yeah. they have some sage advice some when you're young. Yeah. advice yeah. that's good um 
Bring Cheetos, man. They'll anyway. trade for anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Don't move Russians' sense uh, by movement. Uh, what? Ru- <laughs> Russians know. are dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. What? Um, okay. Um, so then there's different. There's different uh, uh, genres, and these genres have different. Uh, are assuming that you're reading them with with different um, uh, tools. So just to be real quick, uh, the genres we have are we've got um, prophetic books, um, and this was the book that my friend at Bible Camp was misinterpreting. He was thinking about prophetic prophetic in terms of trying to tell the future. When, when we're talking about biblical prophecy, by and large, we are talking about uh, people who have been sent by God to cause people to repent. Um, uh, so that is the prophetic books. There's poetic books, uh, like the Psalms, uh, like passages of Song of Solomon, mm-hmm. which, fun fact, uh, back in the day, they wouldn't let uh, young Jewish boys read Song of Solomon because it was yeah. too risque. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't, I don't know if maybe there's still churches you, that still do that. Do that? No, I don't know. It's the rated M for mature part of the yeah. Bible. Yeah, no, it yeah, really yeah. is. It's, it's had to show scandalous. your ID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I think it's lost in translation. Anyway, whatever. Um, <laughs> there's wisdom books. So these are books like uh, Ecclesiastes mm. and Proverbs, um, and there are different ways to apply those verses. Uh, when Proverbs says things like, you know, the uh, I'm trying to think of. There are definitely proverbs. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not prepared. Um, there are definitely <laughs> proverbs that, that talk about. Uh, <laughs> this is a live podcast. I know. You said that in front of everyone. Yeah, I know. Wait, okay. I'm, I'm not prepared. It's what full I'm doing. disclosure. I don't know what's going on? Yeah, right. uh, sunshine's the best disinfectant. <laughs> oh. But there's proverbs where you, when you read it in context, you're like, if that was that doesn't seem to be a universal Christian principle. It's talking about uh, that uh, the rewards go to the shrewd. Uh, um, uh, and there are, def- there are even proverbs where they say the opposite thing, like the fool is praised in the community and the fool is outcast. Um, so how do, you, how do you apply the fact that you've got these wisdom books that um, maybe even contradict some of the love your enemies of Christ in the Gospels? Uh, is this a big inconsistency problem in the Bible? Um, you have historical books. Uh, this is books where they are telling the history of things that happened. Um, uh, and this is where they are more on the descriptive side than the prescriptive side, um, especially when you get to the book of Judges <laughs> and Joshua and where they're, you know, cutting people off. You're telling me I shouldn't act like Samson? I'm no. telling you, you uh, should definitely not act like Samson. Because I've been... Get a haircut. No, it's <laughs> <laughs> I've been pumping a lot of iron. <laughs> so. Good for you. I'm proud of you. You're looking good. Yeah. And flirting with a lot of Philistine girls. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's probably less, less, good less good. Good for you. Um, there are apocalyptic books. There's, uh, there's this whole weird genre that we don't, actually, I was going to say we don't have apocalypse anymore, but I kind of feel like, do we, feel, do we have apoc- modern apocalypse? What do you mean? Do like we- books that talk about, hi- that are highly symbolic, and um, I guess like political cartoons are kind yeah. of apocalyptic. Yeah. I know it sounds I was gonna weird. Ask about like dystopian no, literature. What I, is that like 1984? Yeah. Is that what you're about? No, World? no. I'm thinking less like the end of the world and more like using symbols to tell stories. So, for example, if let's hmm. say there was an election, like Animal Farm, and um, uh, let's say that the Republicans like took everything in the election, and on the front page of the New York Times, you had a picture of an elephant stepping on a donkey. Right, so Animal Farm. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I'm hearing right like, now. We would yeah. all know what that means because we all have this, the associations of animals, of what, you know, the Republicans. Am I getting this right? I'm not from here. Uh, the Republicans are <laughs> elephants. Is what are, the, are there animals for your political parties up north, like a moose and a muskrat? Oh, yeah. um, they're just all moose, right? They're just all, they're yeah. just all muskrats. Yeah. It's just all muskrats. <laughs> wow. Different just, colors. Different shades. Yeah, yeah, I don't like that mm-hmm. at all. Wow. Okay. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah. well, one's an ermine and one's a muskrat. The anarchist a, party's like yeah. a raccoon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, ooh. Yeah. Anyway, so like <laughs> apocalypse uh, books are doing that kind of thing. Uh-huh. So they're having these big wacky... So it's not actually that we're having like flying locusts eating, like that are eating men. It's just you have this, you have this picture that uh, the people when they read it, they would say, "Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about." Mm-hmm. And when we read it, we're like, "I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe it's Russia." Um, <laughs> <laughs> wooden tanks, <laughs> yeah, man. Wooden tanks. Um, and so then there needs to be some that step number two. The historical differences on that one needs to be a a beefed up step mm-hmm. when you are doing the apocalypse. Then we get gospels. Uh, and a gospel is, you know, uh, the genre of telling of the good news of Christ's life. It's it's a genre that is specific to the Bible. There are history books, there are wisdom books, there are apocalyptic books outside of Scripture, but the gospels are, are a genre that has been um, sort of invented in in Scripture. Um, and all four gospels are doing different things. They are all telling the story of Jesus, but they all have uh, their own um, audiences and their own reasons for organizing them as they are. This trips up a lot of kids where it's like... Yes, like the different orderings. Yeah, like I that. mean, the big yeah. one being that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus dies on a Friday, and in John, he j- dies on Sabbath. So it's like, well, what the heck? I mean, he did, like, did he die twice? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, how do, you, what do you, how do you deal with that? Just right at midnight. Is one wrong? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and so then, you know, there's reasons why John does that, uh, which are different for why uh, reasons why Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, do that. Um, um, but I think what you're talking about is that those things aren't inconsistencies. So mm-hmm. the other example would be the different genealogies in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't contradict. They're telling different stories. Yeah, but one's you, through the king line and one's yes. through the, the dad line. Yeah, and so to understand, like, the audience of, like, who are those different Gospels written to, they're meant to proselytize a different group of people. Mm-hmm. People who would care about those lines. Yeah, and so it's not to say one is wrong and one is right, because both of them have gaps in the genealogy. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree with this. Do you? Is there any risk of like, oh, you know, because the apocalypse literature is really hard to read? Like, I don't know. Is there any risk of like just ignoring chunks of scripture because you say this doesn't like actually apply to us today, or the context is so far away? Anything like that? I think so. I mean, I thought we were going to say, is there any risk for just going off and doing this yourself? And I was going to ah. say yes. Oh yeah, hey. a glorious risk. <laughs> is there any risk it of doing is, this yourself? No, this Sorry. is. Uh, Andrew, no, can you cut this. So. No, no there's definitely no. risks of of ignoring things. I mean, yep. just. It's risky to be ignorant, I guess. Um, okay. Uh, okay. But uh, <laughs> can we put that on a T-shirt? That's, that's such a grand quote. No, but I mean, like, to to then there are risky. there are yeah, there are better. hard yeah. things that there are hard things that we have been that are asked of us as Christians, and then to sort of ignore them is is risky. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um, the last and then the last genre is epistles. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are letters. Um, you interpret an epistle less and uh, differently than you interpret apocalypse. You you just like if you go to an action movie, you're expecting something different than if you're going to um, uh, one of those big you know like biopics of of, of who? Tell me. Um, uh, Describe. <laughs> like the other man, I, I will not go see um, that new like Tolkien biopic. Why not? Oh, because I'm sure it's just hot garbage. Has anyone seen it? Is it good? Is it good? Yeah. All right. All right. How, how much Fair of it enough. is him sitting at a desk writing? Because mm-hmm. that is his life. Because I feel yeah. like it'd be more accurate if it was just mostly that. <laughs> they okay. just jump over that. Montage. Yeah, whenever they, yeah, whenever they do like a, a writer biopic, I'm like, mo- like 60% of that should be him sitting at a desk. Sitting at a desk, mm-hmm. yeah, paper writing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you go into those movies with different expectations and, uh, and even uh, different allowances of realism, right? In the biopic, you want it to be a little bit more realistic in an action flick like 
you don't you don't care about realism. It's it's you know Schwarzenegger. He's just <laughs> hanging from a helicopter. Robots from the future. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, so you have, uh, but they can both still say things, and so you, the the reader just needs to be a little cognizant of uh, of how to, of what tools that they need in order to in order to read those different things. But as I write, as even as I say this, I'm convicted. Mm. Um, like on the one hand, this seems like a very heavy prescription. Like you need to go through the entire Bible. For every and topic, you for want every to topic, and then compile this giant list, and then create these principles from those lists, and see how they all interweave and inter and fit together, so that you can say this is what the Bible says about money. Mm-hmm. That seems incredibly daunting. Um, and uh, on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's really fun once you start doing it. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like I said before, it doesn't need to happen in a vacuum. Like there are scriptural traditions. Um, there are, we are all part of churches that the Bible is interpreted before our eyes every Sunday. We have, we, uh, um, when you have a pastor or a preacher who is preaching from, uh, from scripture, uh, there is a, a modeled interpretation. So there's some of this like mimetic learning that we do. Um, and so, um, um, and just like anything with learning, having the tools to be able to do it is incredibly liberating. Yep. Um, I think maybe there's some fear that hap- that comes in parents and teachers because when you teach kids these tools, um, the, the first thing they like to do is, you know, use them to tear things down. <laughs> like when I teach the logical fallacies, the <laughs> oh first thing kids they go do home is and use them against their parents. It's a logical yeah, yeah. fallacy. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah. It's like, go to bed because I said so. Ah, well, actually. <laughs> well, you're giving me only two options. You're... That's a false dichotomy. And then they go on and try to come yeah. up with other stuff and the parent's like, no, actually, like, if you don't go to bed, I will hurt you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I will yeah. spank you. You will be spanked. You, you don't have, I don't have to be right to still hurt you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, give more parenting yeah. tips. This yeah. is good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys. But there is a bit of, like, the raising of the potentiality for danger by giving interpretive tools, but not having those tools is, I think, um, guaranteeing the potential for either being mistaken, either being led astray, or just like falling apart or thinking that this, that this text has absolutely no bearing in their life. Um, and lastly, as Christians, we also believe that the Spirit of God in the hearts of believers uh, is aiding in the interpretation of His Scripture so that, um, uh, that it, it does give life and that this is uh, uh, sort of in a mystical way a living text, unlike any other text that we read uh, in school or study, uh, that, it, uh, um, um, that it responds to you as much as you are responding to it. Uh, and that when you are reading and those little verses jump out of the page, and uh, it seems to have, it is saying something about your life and that application is sort of a very burning application in your own personal context. Mm-hmm. As Christians, we believe that this is God speaking to us through his word. I, I think we need to um, sort of lean into, into, into sort of how strange and mystical that sounds because this is, this is sort of the key defining characteristic than just using this as like a history textbook or some sort of, or like the Jedi, or as a, a proof text, the Jedi take, sacred texts, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> the ones that burn at the yeah, end. Page no, no, she still gets saved. Um, the non-page turners, these are page turners. <laughs> cool. um, but yeah, like uh, or just uh, giving people interpretive uh, proof texting tools yeah. to say like, well, if you want to know what the Bible says about X, just go to Exodus twenty-two, and we'll, you'll find all about chainsaws, or <laughs> or whatever. Um, but it, it's also helpful in at some point uh, the the Christian has to like deal with parts of Scripture that aren't palatable to 
2019 today. Sure. And yes. so to understand, to be able to put that in context appropriately and not just write off and say, well, actually, the Old Testament doesn't matter because that is unfaithful to Scripture. It's, it's, yeah. Um, so to get the uh, the value out of the Old Testament without, um, I don't know, there's a way, yeah, there's a way where you're like overly focused on like rules if you still involve the Old Testament. Another way where you just want to totally dissociate from it. There are difficult passages like in Psalms where the author, where the poet is saying, is praying fervently to God that he will smash the heads of his infant, of his enemy's infants on the rocks. Right. How do you pray that one? Yeah. Uh, how do you do that in the Psalter on Sundays? Um, uh, do you just not t- ever talk about it again? Everyone just feels real awkward while they sing it, and then <laughs> I mean that's one. That's one. But the thing Except is, for like, that one guy, it's like oh, I don't like that. There are people who there are people who are singing or saying just singing it with gusto. Yeah, watch, one guy, watch out for that guy. But yeah, there are seriously. people who are singing and saying the Psalms every day, right? Uh, 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 daily. And so mm-hmm. the question is, we yes. have these things in them that that uh, at first blush uh, we don't know how to deal with. Uh, do we just sort of ignore? them and go to and go to um, uh, love is patient love is kind or we need to f- we need to have uh, the ways of understanding of how to deal these things deal right. with these things um, um, because I mean just for listeners I mean the answer to how do you pray that that terrible psalm is that the psalms are giving us words for our feelings doesn't mean that God's going to go do that um, but it's saying when you feel that way, when you want to smash the heads of your enemy's children on the rocks, you don't do that. You pray to God for justice. Now, God is going to be just, and that justice is not going to be smashing the heads of the infants on the rocks. But that is how one deals with with those feelings when they happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's so that's just in, in <laughs> that's a, like a bummer. I just Sorry, saw man. one or two people in the audience when you're like, when you feel like you want to smash the heads, and they're like, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Like a couple, yeah. couple like sideways nods. Like, yeah, 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 yeah okay. been there. Um, yeah. But that's, been but there. you know, so then, then we have. Uh, um, Keep an eye on those people. Yeah. <laughs> but if we didn't know that you, that the Psalms are God. God's words to us mm. that we give that give language to our feelings that we pray back to God. Then you would you could do all sorts of crazy things like the Russians and their wooden tanks <laughs> and that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, there's one Russian who's going to hear this and be like, "Oh, that's genius!" Or he's like, "Yeah, yeah we're bringing like, it around. We got to cancel the plan. The Canadians have figured it out." <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> anyway, um, that actually brings us to uh, our time. Cool. Uh, that's all I've got in terms of that. I, I, that's been a helpful tool yep. for me. It's, it is a lot of work. Um, it, you get faster at it just because that number, that historical difference, you just learn to understand a lot of the stuff of the Old Testament. Mm. Um, goes a lot faster. Um, but, um, you know, there are those things which I go back and forth over. Uh, and I, you know, we can just use the death penalty as one of them. You have it in the Old Testament with this permissible thing. Um Maybe my own biases don't want it to be that, but maybe, maybe. I, and so then the question, mm-hmm. and then you say, all right, let's. Uh, if this is God's authoritative word over me, how do I, uh, how do I uh, work through that? Yeah. And the answer is yeah. with fear and trembling. Good answer. Do we do we want to leave five minutes? I mean, we have a fifteen minute passing period here. We could leave five minutes for Q and A, and then you guys should know this episode will go up later today as soon as I get a chance to edit it, so you can hear it on. I'm podcast cool with questions. Stuff. We have any questions? Cool I mean, with questions. Sure. Before we close up. What's the point of doing a live podcast? Yeah, oh, you guys one. have questions. Mm-hmm. About anything, not and just we'll this. And we'll repeat it into here. the microphone. Well, I was going to continue deep mm-hmm. Yeah. What, how do you strike that balance between um, feasting in God's word in quantity and being able to 
So okay, the question so the, was, oh, sorry, well, yeah. yeah. So the question was, how do you uh, balance between uh, uh, feasting in God's word, just reading large swaths of scripture and being bathed in it, to this more uh, interpretive inter exercise? Is that the question? Yeah, and I think the answer is, um, you have different times of reading the Bible, or you have different way. Uh, you get into different headspaces. So there are times where you are studying scripture for this kind of process. Um, so even per so personally for me. I read the Bible in the mornings when I'm a good Christian, um, and I don't do this. This is not, I'm not going through with a pen and a pencil and talk and thinking of principles. I am, uh, wanting, I am praying and asking God to show me his word for my life this day or this season or whatever. So there, there's that, uh, and that, that sort of um, our mystical relationship with God mediated through his word. Um, but if that's all we have, um, then, uh, then if we're not tempered by what it actually is saying, uh, um, then that can go real wrong. Um, and, uh, and then also if you are out of community with church, then just your own private interpretation of scripture can go real wrong. Um, so it's, it's that, there are, um, that this isn't the only way to read the Bible, um, but this is uh, uh, the way, one of the ways to uh, understand it um, uh, for the Christian life, but it is by no means the only way of understanding it for the Christian life, or the only application that we have of God's word for uh, how it applies to us. Good question. Yeah. Any others? How do you all come up with your topics? Hmm. Graham, how did you come up with this topic? <laughs> we tried it two years ago, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and no. I had to come so up with it. again. Um, yeah. Uh, we are very persistent. <laughs> I guess that's a good question. So when we when we record, we record three episodes all at once and then release those over the subsequent weeks. So that's, a, I guess, a big reveal. So usually the episode you're hearing is, you know, one or two weeks removed from recording. Right. Um, which means if there are any really big news events, we'll probably have missed those by the time we have to re-record. And then, like, not acknowledge them on the podcast. And yeah. It's like, yeah. And it's like, they, why didn't yeah. they say anything about yeah. last Thursday? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I... I guess we each have our own little different processes. I think the low-hanging fruit is gone by this point, or it's getting to be gone. <laughs> yeah, so for me, it's <laughs> it's a lot times. of... That's interesting. I don't know. I just oh, you feel have like lots a, of low-hanging fruit? Maybe, I don't okay. know. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of books that I still feel I need to get through. Um, I'm currently going through uh, Plato's Republic slowly because I've tried three or four times and made it like three-quarters of the way through like a few times, and I need to just finish that stinker. So it puts pressure on me to finish books that I've wanted to. Like I did Jason and the Argonauts, another one that I had a, had a little trouble getting into. And like this is good motivation to do books that are out there that I know I should know, and I just haven't had a chance to. So I ended up reading Cicero, which was a little bit like, it I'd say great. nails on a chalkboard, but no, more like awesome. nails in my face. Episodes. Oh my goodness, yeah. it was great. I liked them. Yeah. Um, for, me, liked them. You didn't. Uh, yeah. for me, it's I just don't want to disappoint Thomas or AJ. Ah. So <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. Um, so it is like so this sort of motivator. Level? Okay, good. It is this motivator to make sure that I sort of come up with things on a weekly basis. It, it's usually whatever has been interesting to me in class in the classical world in the previous month so right now i'm going through a four-part thing on the uh, namesakes of our houses so the episode on saint augustine went out last week and i'll do francis i think next francis mueller then bonhoeffer you mean the 2018 2019 house cup champions house of saint so, francis um <laughs> so uh graham tried Stop to living in the past man <laughs> i know yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, Graham tried to pass a resolution at our student congress retreat to require that entire title every time Francis is referenced, and that failed. So we did, <laughs> so we did a second one that was we'll only call them Francis from now on. That so that is, that is now the only way to reference it passed the house immediately. Of by yeah, the way, yeah, yeah, it was, it was very it was little a wonderful moment. So, yep, so usually whatever, Francis. whatever we find, yeah, 
interesting or have been reading about recently. Yeah, it's just kind of what we're into. Yep. And luckily, classical stuff is a pretty big umbrella. Oh gosh, so yeah. like any old book is a book that I can read and talk about. So we get stuff from all the way from Dorian Gray to the Argonautica, right? So I, yeah, that's a pretty big chunk of time that I can pull fun books from. I'm yep. sure there's very angry listeners who are like, that's not classical. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we get those emails sometimes. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Uh, we have one more. Last question. Rockin'. Okay. All right. This has been what? Okay. Okay. All right. This has been classical stuff you should know. Thank you, Graham, for that. Uh, that was really good. I'm glad we got to yeah. finally record this one correctly. Hopefully I promise my microphone fail. is. Hopefully don't lose uh, it. Yeah. Only if I did my microphone correctly. You can find us online at classicalstuff.net. You can email us at classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. You can find us on Twitter at classicalstuff. C L S S C A L stuff. We never make mistakes, so we have no classical things to get wrong. <laughs> and I think that's all I have. So Great. we're signing off. Cool. Say bye, all everybody. Right. Bye. 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 So affirming. <laughs> <laughs>